Hello, friends. This is the Scripture Study Project, our podcast dedicated to helping you discover the scriptures in a fresh way, invest your mind and heart into your personal study, and connect to God in your everyday life. I'm your host, Krista Horton, here with my co-host, Zach Horton, and we are here today to study with you in 3 Nephi, chapters 17 through 19. Um, this study is going to take us through General Conference. Here we are, are already entering into October and General Conference. Um, so we'll be back in, I don't know, what is it, two weeks or so mm-hmm. with um, the next episode. But we're grateful to be with you today and studying in these just, what do you call them? Peaceful? Mm-hmm. I, I was just filled with marvel and wonder just like they were well, if there's, as I thought about these chapters. If, if there's a... If the ministry of Jesus among the Nephites is a climax for the Book of Mormon, for me, the climax of that ministry is these chapters right here. I mean, his his uh, appearance to the Nephites and then being able to hear from him and see from see him in chapter eleven is great. But these chapters to me are the pinnacle of his time with them. I just love what happens and. And it is. It's chapters you can feel something as you read. So, yeah, we're excited. So, And it's always, for me at least, it's chapter 17 through 19. I feel like when we have this week to study just a few chapters like mm-hmm. this, it makes it a little more um, in-depth and yeah. meaningful. So, anyway, that being said, we're excited to talk to you about these chapters. And we'll get to that in just a minute after we share our high for yes. the week. And this high comes from me. Um, Zach said I probably shouldn't share it because it's too meaningful compared to the other ones. <laughs> I was looking for a high that was like, our high this week is multicolored scripture marking pencils that make it really fun to mark your scriptures. But no, you actually have one that. Well, if you want to do one like that, it's the caramels that we got at the store. Oh my goodness. That are the dark chocolate sea salt. We already talked about Aldi. Our high from a couple of weeks ago, but if this is high Aldi number two, it was well, dark they, chocolate sea salt. I mean, they pounds. have those a lot, but yeah, but they were cheap. They were right next to the cheap artichoke hearts. Zach, and... you need to stop saying cheap on our podcast. <laughs> okay, moving on to the real high, although the chocolates were great. I just, I just thought this week I've just been. My high has just been watching my kids live through 2020 and seeing, I just, the thing, the thought that I had was my high for this week is that the kids are the heroes of this pandemic. They, the resilience that they show, um, and for us, obviously we've had a big change and shift in our life of, okay, here we are in another state, um, (laughs) clear across the country. But that's not you. Un- I mean, that that might be a little unique. Not everyone has moved in this epidemic, epidemic, pandemic. Mm. Um, but this is an just a weird time, and I just look at these kids doing these weird things. We're doing online school. We're not being able to see people. Or, I mean, we were at the park, and my son was meeting up with a friend that he met on Zoom in his class. And here they are, both show up masked to play at a park, and it's just nothing, like, nothing hits them. They're just excited to be playing. They're excited to 
they just, their resilience is teaching me so much because I need a little more of their resilience. And just, I mean, today, the it was this week that my same son, he told me, he said, mom, I want to do online school. I got to do this really hard thing so that in 20 years I can look back and say, I survived online school. <laughs> so anyway, he's, they're teaching me a lot. And I just thought like, ode to the heroes of 2020 is the kids. Yeah, that's a great one. I mean, I've, I've taught a lot of students during this pandemic and uh, I've interacted with a lot of them. And this goes to all the, the students that graduated, the seniors that graduated last spring and how so many of them uh, took that graduation by the horns. I went to a couple of seminary graduations and the students that were there just made the most out of it and their creativity, their resilience. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So anyway, praise the heroes. Maybe pr- praise to the heroes. Maybe that's uh, something for me is like, I need to learn from these guys. Good. That's really so good. I need I needed that high this week. So on to our study. Okay, so I have a Huffington Post article I just found. You can probably Google it and find the same thing. But um, in a Sunday school class years ago, our Sunday school teacher uh, referenced the passage in the Bible where it says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And he had us do this little mental exercise where he walked us through um, counting the amount of time we spent on different activities during a day, and then using that as a barometer for our priorities, and therefore where our treasure or our heart is. And uh, so if you go through that mental exercise yourself, I mean, obviously a big bulk of it is spent sleeping, so you can kind of throw that one out. Or set it aside at least. We treasure sleeping. We do treasure sleeping. It's a good sleeping. thing. Uh, but with the waking hours that you have, where do you spend your time? And I found this Huffington Post article where they said, uh, at the top of the article, we've done it for you. We have, um, we've broken down your entire life into the years you spend doing different tasks. So here's the breakdown. I thought this was fascinating. Uh, a third of your life, this is a, I think they based it on a, 90 year, oh, 79 years. So 80 year life at life expectancy. So of those 80 years, 33 years you will spend in bed. 26 of those years sleeping, seven years you will spend trying to sleep. So if you stack up all of those minutes you spend trying to get to sleep, stack them up end to end, it'll equal seven years by the end of your lifetime. That sounds like it's kind of gross, <laughs> right? Torture. Um, You'll spend 13 years working. Stack up all of those weeks and 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 uh, 13 whole years of your life will be spent at work. Wow, that um, seems so small compared to the sleep. Here's the crazy. one that I I push on teenagers, and I've been through this. I'll tell them this, they'll say no, and then we walk through it with them, and it ends up being true. 11 years, four months, um, of screen time. The average person will spend a little over 11 years looking at a screen in their lifetime, um, which is just crazy. Four years, six months spent eating. Three years spent on holiday. One year spent exercising. Um, One year and 30 days spent on romance. Kind of sad. 
we spend Aww. we spend seven years trying to go to sleep and only one year on <laughs> on on romance. Uh, one year and three days on socializing. Uh, three hundred and thirty four days in school, which is interesting to me. We hmm. spend we often it says here we often remember school as a huge part of our upbringing, but in reality we only spend uh, a, almost a year between our elementary and and uh, secondary school grades. That's... If you had to take all of those hours and add them up. That's about all we spend. So there you go. I, I thought that was interesting. And uh, the reason or the thought that triggered it is as we dive into these chapters, Third Nephi chapter 17, I, I'm fascinated. I always, am, I always am. I always am. That sounds weird. I'm always fascinated by what happens at the beginning of chapter 17. So Jesus finishes his sermon, his initial sermon that he preaches to the Nephites at the temple. He says to them in verse 2, I perceive that you're weak. You cannot understand all of my words, which I'm commanded of the Father to speak unto you at this time. Which, as a side note, I just love that Jesus is that in tune with the people that he's serving and teaching. He recognizes that they are uh, tired. They can't understand everything that he's taught, that they need time, even though he's there teaching them. Even students at the feet of Jesus need time to ponder and digest what they've learned. And so he tells them in verse 3, Ponder the things which I've heard, or what you've heard. Go home, ask the Father in my name that you may understand. And I go unto the Father to show myself unto others. But then verse 5, It came to pass that when Jesus had thus spoken, he cast his eyes round about again on the multitude, and beheld they were in tears, and did look steadfastly upon him as if they would ask him to tarry a little while longer with them. And he said unto them, Behold, my bowels are filled with compassion towards you. And then he stays for two more chapters. And some of the most incredible things recorded in the entire Book of Mormon, so incredible that uh, Mormon says they are so incredible we can't actually record them, happen in these two chapters when Jesus has some extra time. Now, we were asking the question before of, wait, how does that work if he... Did he know he was going to spend time, or was this a surprise? Did they make him uh, spend extra time with their desires? Did they? I don't know the answer well, to any of those. The question I had was, would he have taught these things anyway? Yeah. Well, and he does commend their faith later on. Well, right? and the sacrament, I guess we we talked about, was done twice right. in these chapters. So it's kind of interesting to think about. Right. But the fact that fascinates me is... Here we are in 2020, where our whole world has been turned upside down. But one of the benefits, at least that I've seen and that so many others that I've talked to have seen, is that we actually do have a little bit more time. We're not spending as much time commuting to and from work or driving to and from school or uh, going out or doing some of the things that we normally would do that would take up our time. We have a little bit of extra time in our lives. Not, of course, all of us and not all the time. But And so as I looked at this, I thought, wouldn't it be fascinating to study what Jesus did with his extra time that could be exemplary for us in our use of our extra time? And so that's our question this week. What does Jesus do with his extra time that I could use as an example for me as I contemplate what to do with my time? Well, I think the first one 
comes from these first few verses of chapter 17, Zach, that you already mentioned some of of his actions here. Um, and I guess I'll just read verse 6. Well, starting with what you mentioned, he he looked at them. He knew them. He saw that they were weak. First of all, he was he knew that he needed to probably be done. Um, but then he says, he cast, this is verse five, he cast his eyes round about again on the multitude and beheld they were in tears and did look steadfastly upon him as if, as if they would ask him to tarry a little longer with them. And he said unto them, behold, my bowels are filled with compassion towards you. I even like that, that they didn't say anything. Mm -hmm. He just looked at them and they, and then he knew what they needed. And he was filled with compassion because he knew that they needed him a little bit longer. They needed him to um, heal them is what he brings up first. And he says, bring them hither and I will heal them for I have compassion upon you. My bowels are filled with mercy, he says again. And I couldn't help but think in our spare time where we're in a world where there's a lot of need, a lot of hurt, that hopefully we're learning to minister in different ways and in new ways than we ever have before. Maybe we're hopefully a little more sensitive to other people's needs around us. And like, like Jesus was, maybe they don't even need to ask us, but that we're feeling that desire to serve in these, you know, maybe I'll even say like higher and holier ways. This is a great time for us to learn to minister the way that Jesus did. Well, and you said this before we recorded, but... Yeah, and I couldn't remember what I said. Well, Tell you me. Said, you said <laughs> Jesus isn't ministering. He's just being himself. And I like yes, that. Yes, that's what it was. It's that was a, good. I said not, a good that thing. That was really good. <laughs> it's not a to-do. It's not that he sat down and said, okay, I've got a little bit of extra time here. What, do I, what is it that I need to do? He was just himself. And the person that he is is the kind of person that's filled with compassion and goes out and helps people. And so... I don't know. Explain. What did you mean? Well, it's pretty powerful thinking about what he just spent the last few days doing. He's very fresh off of performing the atonement and suffering for us. And here he says, he doesn't even need to hear anyone. He just sees it. And I don't say this because I'm an expert in this at all. Um, I have a lot to learn on how how to serve and be compassionate and take time to do that. But I think we can get often get stuck on um I don't know, maybe that ministering doesn't isn't always convenient. I think that's that's what I think of is we make it into a maybe a bigger deal than it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Maybe we just need to make it a part of who we are. And I know that maybe sounds out there a little bit, but making it the way that Jesus did it here as he begins these chapters of this beautiful ministry is just this, that he knows who he's serving and he loves who he's serving. And it just makes it feel so beautiful. Well, you're talking about a transition with gospel principles. Uh, We can, there's different levels of relationship with gospel principles, right? I can learn the principle of obedience. I can act more obediently, and then I can become a more obedient person. And what you're talking about is moving past the, I'm going to minister as an action to the becoming part where I just, I'm compassionate 
and I minister as a natural part of who I am. And so ministering stops being this inconvenient thing that I do. Um, even though that's great that I'm doing it at inconvenient times, it becomes part of who I am where I naturally see people, love them, care about them, and take care of them. And it's not inconvenient. You said this, it's not inconvenient for him because that's who he is. That's what he, that's his very character is the kind of character that cares for and, and loves people. Thanks for quoting me on this, Seth. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I just, that one hit me. I think that, um, of course, Jesus is giving us a beautiful example, but I think that's one that is an important one for us right now. Well, one that I found, um, and this is thematic through all of these chapters, and I think we might have mentioned it, uh, but chapter 18, verse 24, he says to them, Therefore... Hold up your light that it may shine unto the world. And that's reminiscent of what he says back in chapter 12. Um, you know, let your light so shine unto the world that may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Um, he clarifies, I am the light that you should hold up. And that goes back to chapter 9 when in the darkness they hear his voice and he says to them by way of introduction, I am Jesus Christ. I am the light and the life of the world. I had, and I will not be able to summarize it here, so I'll give you a, a study guide to have your own study experience with this, but I had the most incredible experience this week um, with some colleagues studying light. And if you want to have the same study, just start studying what the scriptures say light is. Find all of the synonyms. Uh, and there's plenty of places, especially in the Doctrine of Covenants, where the Lord says, light is this, or where he will use light as synonymous with other things. And what you start to see is that light, truth, knowledge, spirit, intelligence, glory, all of those can be tied together into this web where they are essentially different names or different aspects of the same thing. And this maybe sounds a little bit deep, but for Jesus to say that he is light is not figurative. It's not symbolic. He is filled with whatever this thing is that is described in scriptures as light and truth and glory and power and spirit and law. Whatever that is, he is filled with it. And he always has been. And so he provides that light he shares it with other people. And then his commandment to us who receive that light from him is that we share it further. And so I'll read again, 24. Therefore, hold up your light that it may shine into the world. Behold, I am the light which you shall hold up, that which you have seen me do. Behold, you see that I have prayed unto the Father and you have all witnessed. You see that I have commanded none that you should go away, but rather have commanded that you should all come unto me that you might feel and see. I love that light allows us to feel and see the Savior. Even so shall you do unto the world. And whosoever breaketh this commandment suffereth himself to be led into temptation. Um, what to do with extra time? Two actions I get out of this. Number one, I can acquire light slash truth slash glory slash power slash spirit um, by obeying the commandments by following the gospel. The gospel in its simplest form is just a simple way for how I can get more life 
embedded into my soul, make it more a part of me. So when I read the scriptures, it fills me with this thing that is light. When I pray, it fills me with light. When I partake of the sacrament that's mentioned in these chapters, it fills me with light. When I follow the example of Jesus Christ, when I minister or serve others, it fills me with light. That's task one. With this extra time that we have, what if we spent some more time? What if I spent some more time filling myself with light? And then number two, can I share that light with others? I love that Jesus points out that one of his defining character traits is that he never commands someone to leave him. He never does. Think of his mortal ministry and his invitation was universal for people to come to him. In fact, he spent much of his time with the very people that society had cast out and that's who he went to to spend his time with. Well, I think that's a great uh, example for us during this time as well. What if we used this time not just to acquire light for ourselves, but to find those people that are normally cast out, normally on the outs, and spend some time with them and maybe share some light with them as well? I like that. I think there's been a few references to light. Well, that's an understatement. (laughs) The chapters that we get to see Jesus in the Book of Mormon... Well, and in the New Testament, I just, I just love light. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really cool to think about. Um, well, we have talked too much in this episode because really all we needed to say to sum up this, the answer to this question, and maybe you'll catch the same theme as you read, I'm sure you will, is that what do we need to do with our, the time or that we have or our extra time is pray because that's kind of all he does throughout these chapters. Mm-hmm. And so that's the end of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, let's talk about this a little because I I think part of the beauty of these chapters is that we get to see Jesus pray over and over and hear some of the things he says. And a lot of it, we don't get to hear the words that he spoke because they say it's too marvelous and wonderful. We do, It couldn't be written. And that's said multiple times in these chapters that the prayers were just so, well, that marvelous and wonderful. And I love that. Um and so what I took from that ultimately, and I, I want to talk a little bit about some of the things he said, but ultimately he is teaching us, he came to give us an example, and here he is teaching us and showing us how to connect to the Father. Um, he prays over and over. The first one he is when he's with the children, right after what I had read before. So this is chapter 17, verse 13. He said that they should kneel on the ground And it came to pass that when they had knelt upon the ground, Jesus groaned within himself and said, Father, I am troubled because of the wickedness of the people of the house of Israel. And he prayed in verse 15. And that's when they say that in verse 16. The eye hath never seen, neither hath the ear heard before so great and marvelous things as we saw and heard Jesus speak unto the Father. And I just can't help but um, feel the beauty of that and hope for that too. What should we be doing in our extra time? Let's take a little bit of time, not even your extra time. Let's take a little bit of time to pray in these ways. Um, And further on down, this is verse 22. And when he had done this, he wept again. And I even think that's beautiful. Let's cry. Let's, Let's literally cry out unto the Lord like we hear, but let's cry to him. Tell him your troubles. Tell him your grief. Tell him your pain, but tell him your joys too. Um, so much goodness when we think about these things. It's interesting to think of the records of Jesus's prayers in scripture. 
We have lots of prayers recorded in Scripture, um, and we have quite a few records of Jesus praying in Scripture. With the exception of his uh, the, the Lord's Prayer that he uh, instructs in Matthew, when he gives them specific words to say, uh, and that I think is more of a teaching moment. He's giving them an outline for those that are freshly uh, or, or new to prayer. But the records of Jesus' prayers um, often show him being very simple in what he says, but very emotional. In these chapters, he weeps, uh, he groans. Uh, in the New Testament, when he's praying in the garden, again, he groans or he cries out. And it makes me wonder something about prayer. We spend a lot of time and energy focusing on what we should or shouldn't say in prayer. Um, I remember as a missionary teaching people the order of prayer, right? You address Heavenly Father this way, then you uh, thank him for things, then you ask him for things, and then you close your prayer. And that's helpful, and it's it's needed, I think. Um, but we don't spend a lot of time talking about the emotions of prayer. What should you feel? What could you feel when you pray? And reflecting on the way that Jesus prays in here, um, and especially so much of the text of his prayers isn't recorded, makes me think the example that we see here isn't, oh, you should pray like Jesus by saying this or doing this or saying that. It's, you should pray like Jesus in that prayer is an emotional experience where you're talking to your father and uh, reaching out or crying out to him. Um, I've had a couple of those prayers and I'm having them thankfully more and more recently where prayer becomes an emotional exchange and a lot less is said and a lot more is felt. And because of that, a lot more is heard on my part and my prayers have become a lot more meaningful. Well, and another interesting thing is that we see him, I mean, we don't know what he says in all of the prayers. We already said that, but that often he's praying with or for other people and giving them this example of what to do. Um, and the one that he does, the prayer that he also shares with them is the sacrament prayer. So that's another part of that connection to God is he's teaching us how to pray. He's teaching us the importance of these connections and covenants that we're making with the father. Um, and I can't not say this part about probably how the disciples felt as they, it says what they prayed for was, and this is in chapter 19, verse nine, and they did pray for that which they most desired, and they desired that the Holy Ghost should be given unto them. He teaches them about the Holy Ghost at the end of chapter 18, and then here they are saying, we most desire that because we realize that that's going to be the thing that we're going to keep with us when Jesus leaves, and we need to pray for that. And that's, I think, another thing that we could be spending our time doing is praying for that, the Holy Spirit to be with us, to guide us, because that's another way to connect us to the Father. In fact, we need to end, but that's the teaser, I guess, for general conferences. At the end of chapter 18, Jesus does depart, and the disciples, the apostles that he chooses in chapter 19, gather the multitude together, and they pray. And I love this line. I think it's wonderfully indicative of what an apostle is. It says in verse 6, And the twelve did teach the multitude. Behold, they did cause the multitude should kneel down upon the face of the earth and should pray unto the Father in the name of Jesus. 
And the disciples did pray unto the Father also in the name of Jesus. It came to pass that they arose and ministered unto the people. And when they administered the same words which Jesus had spoken, nothing varying from the words which Jesus had spoken. Behold, they knelt again and prayed to the Father in the name of Jesus. And when Jesus comes, I love this in verse 25, that when he comes, um, he finds them praying. It says in verse 24, they did not multiply many words, for it was given unto them what they should pray, and they were filled with desire. And it came to pass that Jesus blessed them as they did pray, and his countenance did smile upon them, and the light of his countenance did shine upon them. And so I love what we're studying this week. I love that we're heading into a general conference where the Lord's chosen apostles will teach us more of what he would have us learn, feel, do, and become. Nothing varying from what Jesus would teach. And that when we do that, we can acquire that kind of light and uh, glory into our lives. Thank you so much for studying with us this week. We hope that you have a wonderful general conference. As Krista mentioned, we'll be back in two weeks with our next episode. So enjoy conference and we'll see you later.